Welcome to a Hollywood and Beyond special presentation. Send host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon. Hi, this is Carrie Genzel, actor, producer, writer, and creator of StateOfSlay.com. Slay, in this case, being an acronym for self love, appreciate you. State of Slay is a blog that I created documenting my journey from the darkness of depression to living in the light today and focusing on the positive. It is a safe place to encourage one another and walk together as we find empowerment. And self love. I hope you'll join me on my blog, stateofslay.com, where we walk and slay together. Slay on. Welcome, friends and listeners, to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast, your home for meaningful and in depth interviews. Thank you for listening. And now, your host, actor and writer, Stephen Brittingham. Hi, this is Stephen. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. Jamie Bernadette returns to the show to discuss her leading role in The Furnace. After a tragic accident, Mary loses her husband and her will to live. She will soon, though, go on a journey for hope. Africa's toughest race becomes her biggest test of faith. This is the furnace. Yeah? <laughs> Winning Powerball ticket? No, no! Two tickets to Africa for both of us! Africa? The furnace! Uh, it's, um, it's a race, uh, 150 miles across the biggest animal reserve in yeah. the world. You run with uh, buffaloes, lions, elephants, rhinos, leopards. Leopards. The big five, you know? You race against animals. No, no, Mom. You you race against people. I mean, there's animals there, but some racers do get a little too close for comfort. Yeah. But that's the fun of it. Matt, have a safe flight. Oh, oh my God, that's cold. Oh. Man, we should have warmed this thing up first. Oh, well, your present went down like a lead balloon, huh? You can't blame your moms. In her mind, you're still in junior high. Hey, Merry Christmas. We've all been there. Some worse than others, of course. I'm talking about the bottom of your soul, where there's nowhere left to go. A suffocating nothingness as death tightens its grasp around your throat, squeezing hard. You should be thankful. Thankful. You 
could have ended up in a wheelchair. Mary. I just I I can help you. I don't want any help. What we want and what we need are often completely different. Someone to catch you. After everything that's happened to you, how can you still believe in God? When Joseph was thrown in prison, he didn't dwell on the injustice. He believed. I believe in God. And I believe in you. If you let me on, I'd like to help you out of your prison. Hello, friends and listeners. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for joining me today, for listening, and for all of the wonderful support. Thank you so much. Jamie Bernadette is here to discuss her outstanding performance as Mary Harris in The Furnace. This is Jamie's second visit to Hollywood and Beyond. It is my utmost pleasure and honor to have her back on the show. Jamie Bernadette, welcome back to Hollywood and Beyond. Oh, thanks so much for having me again. It's a pleasure. It's an equally uh, pleasurable for me as well, and uh, so nice to be speaking with you again. You too. Thank you. And I must say up front, congratulations on giving one of the most remarkable performances of 2019 as Mary Harris in the Furnace, a truly impressive performance. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, the opening segment clearly laid out uh, the storyline and what the Furnace perhaps is all about. Of course, you are the best person to speak with as the leading lady in the film. The broken-hearted and uh, very much devastated woman that you portray who clings on to hope and it is just such a captivating performance. Well, I'll tell you what, Jamie. How did the opportunity first develop for you to be able to portray this character? Um, but one of the producers, Sam, he watched a movie of mine. He actually doesn't even remember which one it, one it was. And he was like, that's our Mary. I don't, I don't know. He was in South Africa. I mean, I didn't know him at all. <laughs> wow. And yeah. And then he pitched me to Daryl Ruth, the director. And Daryl at first was like, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know what he sent Daryl. And then Sam sent him more stuff. And he looked at that more of my work. I don't know. He must've been pulling up different clips or reels or had Daryl watch some movies and then Daryl was like, okay. And that was it. (laughs) I didn't audition. I didn't anything. They, you know, went through my agent and he made an offer. I had like a 14 minute conversation with Sam and, and on Skype and, and that was it. No audition for this character then. No, you know, preparing for a role. You know, it depends on the type of character 
you know, you might be portraying. And in this one, so many different layers of emotions to portray. Very challenging moments in the film for an actress, but also physical because there's a lot of uh, running, of course, in this race in, in, in Africa. And there's, just, there's many challenges for you as an actress. Was this something that you kept in mind before filming started? Did you actually start preparing in a very specific way to, to handle all the uh, demands that this role required? Yeah, I mean, I physically prepared. I mean, I love to run anyway. So, but I started running even more to prepare. Um, just getting more physically fit. But yet, we didn't want Mary to be too physically fit because, you know, she does um, suffer, you know, and, and can't run for a while. So, you know, I didn't want to look like I, I didn't ever have, you know, a disability, which I'm really, I have a disability through the whole film, but, but we didn't want it to look like I, I had a disability that didn't incapacitate me. You know what I mean? So we had to, I don't know. They didn't, I don't think they wanted someone too, too big, you know, that runner, that Olympic runner stance, which I was sure the character was always a recreational runner um, anyway, but so I didn't, I didn't get too big. I didn't lift weights or anything like that because I, it was like an underdog story. And, and yeah, I, um, you know, I'm not able to run for a while because I lose the use of one of my lungs in the accident. And so I had to be fit, but not overly fit. So I didn't overly do the, the, um, like physicality of it, like the weight, like lift weights or, anything like that. So, but I did run a lot because you have to prepare your heart for that. Because I know during the filming, I would run all day long, sometimes for 12 hours a day. Um, in the heat and the bush, they call it in Africa, the bush is basically kind of like what we would call a forest, but the trees are, aren't trees are just bushes. There's just, bushes. <laughs> I see hard to explain like to an American, like to South in South Africa, when you say the bush, everybody knows what you're talking about. When you, when you say in America, people are like, what's that? So, but yeah, it's basically like a forest with, you know, a bunch of bushes, a lot of thorns and <laughs> snakes and animals, Ooh. um, lots and lots of animals. So I had yes. to run in the bush and the, and the heat out there too got, gosh, I don't know. I wouldn't doubt if it was 90, degrees um mm. out there when when i was running and so i had to prepare my heart basically to be able to run like that all day which thankfully i'm already you know i hike and it wasn't too terribly much training for me to be able to physically do that well, thank you for that description. And no doubt about it it looks very warm uh, obviously being set in africa and you know, so many moments your character is covered in, in sweat or perhaps mm -hmm. is dehydrated. And, and, and that was a very wise decision. Don't want to be too in shape to the point where you look, uh, you know, maybe like, like, you know, an Olympic runner, so to speak. But at the same time, you know, in mm -hmm. decent shape, a bit toned, and, and you certainly qualify for all of that. Uh, it was very believable. And I'm sure your your running experience helped as well with the 
with the scenes that you were involved in. Well, this film starts over the holidays on a, a snowy night, but it quickly turns to tragedy as your character's husband is is injured, as you are as well, your character, and just a horrible car accident that just catches you instantly off guard. You know, it's one of those scenes that you're calm too as a viewer if you don't know what's about to happen, and then, whoa, it's like a, mm-hmm. a door slamming behind you. You just had no preparation for it. it so it sets the tone for the film very quickly, mm-hmm. and and before you know it, some time has passed, and and Mary's husband did not survive the ordeal. And your character has a lot of physical uh, disabilities, and, and her condition is 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 not all that good. But mm-hmm. I have to say, her emotions, her heart, it's damaged as well. She's grieving. She's trying to figure out why did this happen. It's it's it's, it's something that's brought up a lot. Like why did this happen? I, I don't understand. And, you, you know, your characters weren't even together that long. And that is also something to keep in mind. So I wanted to ask you, you know, as you prepared for these emotional scenes, what was it that you found most challenging about portraying Mary when it came to her emotion? Hmm. Um, a lot of people ask me that, like, on set and not just the furnace, other sets, but definitely the furnace. I was asked that question more than any other film was how I was getting there emotionally, you know? Um, you know, I prepare emotionally way before the start, the camera start rolling. And, um, I usually will pull from my past experiences and, um, and I know some, some people disagree with that that method um, because it can bring you to very dark places that can be hard to snap out of after the cameras stop rolling. Um, but, you know, I'll do anything for my art. <laughs> it's fine if I'm depressed for a few days after. That's okay. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's my job to make the audience feel something. And that's my job. And that's my number one priority. So, before the, the cameras start rolling, I prepare emotionally um, with myself and um, people who work with me, they, they see that I'm a very, I can be a very um, intense actor, but I'm quiet. You know, I'm the one who goes off into the corner by myself to prepare and, you know, I, I shut everybody out in the crew and I just try not to hear anyone. Like sometimes when Daryl Root would talk to me, like my eyes are just closed and I just nod a yes. I don't want to get into a conversation and I don't even want to see anyone really because it takes me out of my world. So, and then when the cameras start rolling, then I'm that character in that moment. And I try to live moment to moment as that character and never have any emotion prepared ahead of time, if that makes sense. I try to feel it in the moment because that way it's, I think, going to be the most real. Well, this uh, explanation that you just provided, first of all, thank you. Very in-depth. And I'm not surprised that you have such phenomenal results with your acting, Jamie, because with that kind of commitment and concentration, uh, you, the results of your work 
surely speak for themselves. So I was very much enjoying your answer. And as an actor myself, I agree with your approach. I, I too like to dive into the, you know, personal memories or the, your past and, and somehow tie that into the current situation. So I'm all for that too. Mm-hmm. Well, as you, um, yeah. Uh, arrived, uh, you know, your character eventually arrives to Africa for the race. There's a lot of buildup and setup. And that is with a, a co-star of yours who just gave a, also such a, you know, appealing and strong performance. The character's name is Coffin. <laughs> uh, that's not yeah. a name you hear very much in a film. Um, and mm-hmm. did such a wonderful job. You two worked so well together. Such good chemistry. Uh, uh, you, you, the connection that your characters have, it's just vital to this film. And it, 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 it's the kind of thing where I'm watching going, boy, if this was not casted properly, you know, it really, really would have hurt the overall results of this film. So, Thank goodness you two just work so well together on screen. But what was it like working behind the, the scenes with this gentleman that portrayed Coffin? Yeah, Latuli, yeah, he's amazing. I mean, he's um, extremely well-known in South Africa. I mean, he's a famous South African actor. Um, he, so he's very um, seasoned, professional, and very kind, down-to-earth, just yeah, knows his lines, knows his stuff. It's just super natural. Um, and yeah, we just felt really comfortable since day one together. Um, I only met him one time before the first day of filming, um, which was at the table read, you know, where you sit around and read the script with all the cast and the director there and the producers. And, and yeah, we just felt comfortable together. And I mean, luckily, because we didn't, you know, do a chemistry reading or anything before we were cast. And I mean, it just, it just fit. We just fit, you know, we were fortunate, but it was a good yeah, fit. He's amazing. Yes. I'm so thankful I had him. <laughs> well, I just can't, he's just uh, so good. I, I just, that is something else that he is a, 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 a bigger name down there. Um, and, and that, that is a uh, very interesting to learn. Oh, yeah, he's huge. Like, all the extras were like, take my picture with me. Oh, like, wow. It, yeah, yeah, he's big, really big. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of training scenes. And these mm-hmm. scenes were just, wow. I, I was just so impressed with, with just all of, your, all of your scenes are so good, Jamie. But these scenes were just riveting. You know, just mm-hmm. the, the the will not to give up, and and the search for hope. It's just just such impressive scenes. Um, when you think back on those scenes, um, I just I just wondered uh, mentally was 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 there times where you felt a bit exhausted or run down? Just such high demands emotionally and physically during so many of your scenes. Yeah, absolutely. It was the hardest film I've ever done. Um, I was thinking it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we would shoot 12-hour days, and I think we went over once as well, maybe pushed a 
a really long day. I don't remember, but long days. And then we would shoot six days a week and almost the entire film. I'm depressed, um, crying, fighting for my life. So yeah, it was definitely, definitely, um, very difficult, um, but rewarding. And I, one of the best experiences of my life. Um, but on top of that, I was, suffering big time from jet lag like oh okay and maybe maybe like the i don't know maybe i was a little anxious too during filming because it is such a intense role so challenging and i'm working with an oscar-nominated director maybe i don't know but i was sleeping about two hours a night throughout that entire film there were two nights of filming that i slept five hours Wow. And I was like, yay, I slept five hours. Yeah, I was literally sleeping two hours a night, maybe sometimes three. I I don't remember, but um, jet lag can last three weeks. Now they had, and we're we're nine hours behind South Africa right now because of the, um, um, I can't think right now what is it called, (laughs) the the fall, the spring ahead. Um, But normally we're 10 hours. Yeah. So at the time we were 10 hours behind from South Africa. So when you jump ahead, I read the South Africa, when you jump ahead in time like that, like I read the um, jet lag is worse because I did a lot of research after it afterwards because I had, it was so difficult for me, but they flew me in a week before we started filming to get over the jet lag, which helped um, for sure. So I wasn't like passing out on set. (laughs) But right. it was still very difficult for me to sleep through the night. And yeah, I did read jet lag can last few weeks. So by the time I was done with the film and I went on a, a trip off the coast of Africa, I was, I had zero jet lag at all was sleeping through the night. So, but okay. I've noticed since that experience now, I've been back to South Africa twice that my jet lag is way less. So maybe it's, that first whammy that your body has to learn how to adjust. I'm not sure, but I can adjust so much faster now to time, huge time zone changes like that. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. You know, Jamie, I would never want anybody to have, you know, only two hours for sleeping through the night, especially when working on such a challenging uh, film. Yet it's interesting to me as I was listening to you in a, rather surreal way it kind of maybe helped with yep. your character's uh, <laughs> inner struggles ironically mm, i've had the same thought like <laughs> maybe it's good you know maybe and it was good like yeah and i and i know too that when you're tired or hungry you pull in like pictures like mental image pictures um can come in really heavy like ever i don't know if you've ever experienced like when you feel really down and really sad and you're like just feeling very negative and it's like wait a second like i'll go wait a minute Uh how do i need i need to sleep and then i go to sleep wake up the next morning i feel fine so i think yeah a lot of times it's just tired or hungry like with babies Mm -hmm. it's like children they're crying they're tired or hungry it's usually like one or the other or both um so yeah me being tired could have helped me pull in those mental image pictures that i needed 
to bring forth that emotion. Like I know when we did the hospital scene, I was literally crying for probably two to three hours straight. Like it was like the crew was just silent. I mean, they were so respectful. Like we would, um, they would shoot like one angle and then have to move the cameras and redo the lighting while they're, so I'm trying to stay in it. And while I'm staying in that emotional space, like I'm still crying while they're moving the cameras. So I'm sitting there crying while they're moving the cameras. And then Daryl's like, Oh, we're we're almost there. Jane, we're almost there. Hang on, hang on. Like they're going as fast as they can to keep me there emotionally. And then they'd move the cameras and then would shoot and then would have to do it again. And like, So that was a day my emotions just seemed to be right there. Like it was just very, I wouldn't say it was easy for me to get there, but it kind of was easy, but it was hard to stay in it because I had to, not hard, but I had to know how to explain it. It, it, My mental Mm -hmm. space was really on point that day. Like it was like I was, yeah, even after we stopped that scene, I literally just, I went to the side because, you know, then we switched scenes and it can be kind of like a, it can be very hard to snap out of it. And I remember Julene, I love her, my, my makeup artist, she, she just hugged me and I just started sobbing. Like it was like, I, I don't know. I think she just knew I needed a hug. And then I just went and sat in a chair in the corner while we waited while people, oh, wow. like it got like that on set where... I brought myself to such dark places, but, but yeah, I think the the not sleeping may have definitely, it's a possibility that it helped me get to where I needed to go emotionally, um, on some of those days. Cause I do think you can be in a very dark place when you're super tired like that. So yeah, I should deprive myself more often before I go. Maybe you should keep that in mind then. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but i i mean i can get there emotionally when i sleep a lot too like the film i was oh, just shit. doing um up in san francisco it's very emotional as well and i was getting there with with sleeping so i don't know but i don't know can't hurt that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> well you are a true pro jamie that there's just no no doubt about that in my mind. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoy uh, watching your work so much is just knowing your commitment is as strong as it is. And uh, I think you can tell that I'm uh, someone that really admires and respects your, your talent as an actress very much. Oh, thank you. And is this hospital scene, is this the scene where they have the flashback that involves your Mm -hmm. character's husband? Yeah. I, that's yeah, what I was thinking. Like, yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. That is a very, very uh, uh, touching and emotional scene. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes later on in the film, which I found to be also a wise choice. It kind of sneaks up on you. In, in a way, I wasn't really anticipating it. I thought, okay, they've mm-hmm. moved on from that uh, point of the storytelling. But to go back to it, I thought was a very interesting choice by the uh, director and writer of the film. Absolutely. I was thinking the same thing because I think when it was written, it was, 
in chronological order where it was in the beginning of the film, that hospital scene. Um, but when I saw the, the rough edit, it was at the end, as you know, interchanged with me having this revelation. So it was a surprise to me too. And a pleasant one. I, I think it was very, very strategically placed. Um, Daryl Root is a genius. He's a genius. He is. He, his films are incredible. The way he puts stuff together, the way when he shoots, um, the scenes, he, gosh, he, he grabs the moments. Like he could, like one day we had a whole scene, we did it. And then he saw an incredible sunset an incredible opportunity. He says, to me and, and Laura Lynn, the actress um, who plays the, the, the runner from Brazil, he's like, go do that scene. We're like, wait, what? He's like, go do the scene, run in the field, go do the scene right now, the one we did earlier in the day. We're like, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we run and start doing it. They set up the track. He's, you know, Daryl jumps behind the camera, and we had an amazing cinematographer, Justice. Um, he's incredible. But occasionally, Daryl would jump behind the camera, maybe because it was just faster than explaining what he wanted. So he would just he just jump behind the camera, and then they had him on the track, and he was following us, and like, um, and it was just totally in the moment. This is how we're going to do this scene now. <laughs> I changed my mind. Like we got to take advantage nice. of this incredible sunset, and he had. Such mm. incredible energy that everyone gets behind him, the crew, no matter how long the day's been. He just is so excited. So everyone else is just, <laughs> they love him. They love him yeah. so much. But yeah, he's a genius. Excellent direction by Daryl throughout the film, scene by scene by scene. It's just a thoroughly well-made film. So I'd like to take this moment to just tip my hat to, to Daryl and all of the people on the crew. Outstanding results. Awesome. Thank you. Now, Jamie, uh, we've discussed running, but there's moments where your character is literally crawling to keep going, to not give up in this race that means so much to her. You know, it makes me think of just how much the character must have really loved her husband. That, that she wanted to do this uh, despite her own physical uh, situation from the accident. She was determined to finish. And it, you know what? I also like the choice that it wasn't really about her winning the race. I, I'm sure that might have been tempting as a rider to go, you know what? I need to have her actually win. And I think that it was just another wise decision to have it mm. not be that way. But the most important yeah. element was that your character finishes the race, that all of these obstacles and odds against her, that she didn't give up, she kept going, and, and she persevered. Wow. Now, I have to ask you, Jamie, we, uh, obviously, she's doing this in, in memory and honor of her husband, but it became very clear to me that it appeared that Mary was doing this also for herself, in fact, more and more is about that, that she had something to prove as well. And you really displayed that so well. Oh, thank you. I mean, yeah, the race was really a metaphor, you know, through 
um, about what she's going through in her life and um, her getting over the loss of her husband and um, and she lost the use of one of her lungs. So, you know, everything was much harder now and she would never be completely the same. Um, I mean, the, the when you when you have one working lung, it does it fills in the chest um, and expands um, to compensate for the non-working lung. It's pretty remarkable, actually. Um, but yeah, yeah, the race was definitely a metaphor for um, yeah, uh, just I think anybody if they're go- trying to get over something in their life and. Um, they've lost hope and, and how they can, um, get through that and come to the end of it and, and want to live life again because, yes. you know, didn't really want to live at, you, you know what I mean? She says it in, in the movie. And also I think without her even saying it, you know, she deep down, I doesn't, I, I think doesn't want to live. So, yeah, through the race, she finds healing. And, and often people, they do go into nature and by themselves to find healing. Like, yes. it is a thing. So um, I was thinking about that as well. Oh, look at that beautiful scenery. Just how good that is mm-hmm. for a, a damaged soul. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And she hasn't let go of her husband, like, not even in the least bit. So... And grief you know, is a big, big uh, part of your character as well. Not just the physical, huge. but grief. Absolutely, absolutely. Grief, uh, um, apparent grief, and then suppressed grief underneath the surface, which is um, a lot of what I did in a lot of my scenes and what I had in mind, um, where she was, her mental state. Um, there's also bitterness there. It's very bitter. You know, yes. So, and and it's such a great film for anyone who's lost anybody, and and which is most of us. Um, Very and death true. Is just, yeah, death is a part of life, and and we have to deal with it. And as we get older and older, we're going to see more, lose more, and more people. And I think it's just such a powerful film to help any person through. Um, the loss of a loved one. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Jamie. You have me all teary-eyed all over again. So <laughs> I have to say I completely agree with you. Uh, the, the valleys of the human heart are, are often deep and varied. So very well said. I did want to ask you about, we discussed how beautiful this uh, area is where the film was was made. So I'd like to actually ask you, where actually did this film uh, film at? Where was it shot at? And also, what about all of those scenes with animals? There, there was several scenes with uh, different type of animals, and I, uh, many times I was on the edge of my seat as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um. We filmed um, the cafe scene was around Johannesburg, and then um, we filmed in the bush. It was, um, gosh, what was the little town called? Um, 
gosh, it started with a B and it was like two Bs. It was two words okay. that start, both started with B. I'm trying, but anyway, it was, it's okay. I it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was way outside of Johannesburg. And, um, I see. yeah, um, the animals. So like uh, the cheetah, um, we worked with the two cheetahs that, had been rescued from an owner that was feeding them like a cheese sandwich a day. So oh they were grossly, um, grossly malnourished, uh, smaller than a normal cheetah would be. You put them in the wild, they probably wouldn't survive, would be my guess. So um, they had been rescued, which I was very happy about that. I'm, I'm really not a fan of animals in cat- captivity, um, but situations like that, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's better. Um, also in South Africa, poaching is a huge problem. So when I see elephants in captivity in South Africa, and it's not like a zoo, it's like there's safaris and, and things like that. I mean, they have just what it looks to be miles and miles of um, grassland to, to roam on. And like the elephants that I worked with, had a big lake and, you know, um, miles and elephants are just amazing creatures and the poaching, it just, it's, I can't even bear to think about it, to be honest. So when I see heartbreaking, it's so heartbreaking. Like they grieve about a death like humans do. Elephants do like they go in a circle. I think I heard and surround the, their loved one who is, been killed or, or died and they grieve like it's and when I looked into the elephant's eyes on the furnace I felt like I could see the soul in there like like I believe we're a soul in a body and and that death of course we separate from the body and I mean I believe that that so I felt like the elephant I could see that the soul in the body when I looked in the elephant's eyes and wow so smart he did all these tricks and so, yeah, I saw, like, families of elephants there at this place, and um, they were really well taken care of. They can be um, protected from poachers. Same with Good. lions. They, yeah, the lions, they, they, um, the poachers will cut off their paws um, because they, they make them into um, a drug, I guess, or a pill, some, and they sell them in China, and it's supposed to help with um, male, I don't know how to say it and have it be politically correct or. Um, <laughs> I think I know what you're trying to say. Male sexuality, like, and of course it doesn't. It's, it's right. false, which is where the rhinos went. Same thing. Um, hmm. the, the, it helps with male sexuality and it sells like crazy in China. And, um, it does not, the, the horn of the rhino is made is like hair and nails. Like it's, it's, it does not help at all. It's and 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 the rhinos are practically extinct from this. It's horrendous. So when I see, yes. yeah, like a, a lion in captivity in South Africa, I'm actually happy you know, yes, or a yes. rhino, or um, it's hard to see rhinos. There's not many. And the farmers don't want them because there's such a danger. Like this farm that we shot on, on the, in the furnace, 
I think they, did they have two rhinos or one? I can't remember. I think it might've been two rhinos and the poachers came to, they call it a farm, but it's not a farm like we think of in America with cows and pigs. A farm is like, there is like, is like miles and miles of land with tons of animals on it. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, so they had, yeah, I think they did have two rhinos, which were like, I think they raised them since they were babies. It's like your dogs. Like it's, they were like part of the family. Yeah. And the poachers came and they all had to hide in their, the home. They had to hide and listen to the poachers killing their rhinos because they would have killed them if they would have come out. Cause Mm -hmm. I think one rhino horn sells for like a million dollars. So it's just, yeah, we I worked with animals in captivity on the furnace, but I was totally for them being in captivity because of the poaching, which is so unlike me. People who know me, I don't even I don't want to go to zoos. Like I hate zoos. Um like in America or zoos. So, oh, I hate it. I'm just so against it. So like SeaWorld I'm against. Um, I've learned all about that after I went many, many years ago and I was like, this is horrendous. So yeah, sorry, that was a very long answer. <laughs> no, it was uh, mm-hmm. very interesting and in-depth and and, and just uh, outstanding answer. So thank you for that. Uh, you know, it's just, um, it's something that perplexes me, Jamie, as I was listening to you. I just don't understand where the compassion is for animals in general. Uh, when I think of poachers, I get extremely angry, and I'm also heartsick for the animals, just how yeah. unnecessary it is. And I try to, I try to put myself in these people's shoes, and I just can't do it. I, I don't, I don't understand the heartlessness of oh, yeah. uh, of their behavior. It's like it's like they're not even acknowledging that these are living creatures. And I don't understand that. Um you know, if you don't mind me saying and please forgive me Jamie and, and if I misquote this, but as I was listening to your answer, it just made me think of the uh, moment from the Carpenter song, uh, bless the beasts and the children for the world can never be the world they mm. see. And as I was listening to you, you know, share some of those uh, situations, it made me think of that song. So thank you for such an insightful answer. And, and maybe together, somehow, we can all put a stop to this. Uh, I wish. Uh, uh, no yeah. doubt about it. Uh, maybe just somehow we can all find a way. Well, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I have to add, if you don't mind, that scene, um, you know, that, that you were mentioning, the, an elephant shows up. And, you know, I mm-hmm. wondered if there was more to that scene as far as in the script, if there was some sort of hidden meaning. It was just very interesting to me. It's like your character became rescued at that moment because the elephant came from nowhere. And it just kind of made me wonder, was that like one of those things where that's got like some sort of mystical meaning, like somebody was looking out for you? And yeah. I just wanted to share that with you. I don't know if that was the intention mm-hmm. of that scene, but that's just the way yeah. I took it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It was the intention of that oh, scene. Like, well, I think we've all seen miracles. <laughs> yeah, no, good job. Yeah, no, I think we've all seen experienced miracles happening in our lives. So that's really what that scene was 
was about. Yeah, whether you want to look at it as someone looking out for you or God looking out for you or however the viewer will see it. Um, but yeah, I think we've all experienced something like that for sure. And this film has also a spiritual edge to it. Um, mm-hmm. Because your character uh, many times just flat out questions, uh, you know, mm-hmm. why would God let her life become the way it is? And, you know, and, and Coffin is the opposite. He continues yeah. to hold on to faith despite his own life circumstances. So it's mm-hmm. very interesting. Your two characters, the influence you have on each other. And lo and behold, your character encounters what can be described as an angel. Once again, I was caught off guard uh, later on in the film when it becomes clear that that character, who I believe was portrayed so well by Laura Lynn, and Mm -hmm. there was uh, so many nice moments that you have with the character, and then as the film goes along, I'm I'm going, wow, Um, this is such an amazing um, way to have this character in the film. So once again, uh, this script is full of such incredible moments. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Laura's character, that was a, I loved her character. I, and yeah, I don't want to give anything away to people who haven't seen the film, but wow. Yeah. Powerful, very powerful. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I've seen the movie twice um, and I've cried like both times (laughs) and I'm in the movie and I know what's going to happen and I don't know. It's just something about it. The writing, I don't know, but yeah, with Laura, that scene where they're talking about her with um, Coffin and the character of the, Mm -hmm. the race runner and yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about, but sure they kind do. of reveal Laura's character is I start bawling every time I've seen that scene. I'm just, hmm. I don't know why. It's Yeah, it's very powerful. Well, that makes two of us, Jamie, if that makes you feel better. <laughs> I've seen the film twice as yeah. well. And every time yeah. I was full of uh, lots of tears and so touched. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Laura did a great job. And I love... Was her first movie, I think. Her first movie? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think she has a future in film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would like to uh, bring up before we conclude that the film is it has a wonderful narration. It has these wonderful narrative moments. I really like that. I, and, and I thought it, whenever there is a narration moment, it's just like the perfect words were chosen. I just have to say, I thought the, that was very effective. Oh, awesome. Yeah, the writing is incredible. I, yeah. And what my, a good friend of mine recently told me the same thing. The narration is insane. Like, she's like, I just want to go back and watch it again to listen to those passages. Like, it was yes. incredible. Yeah. They're meaningful. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, after something is often said, it, it's staying with you, even though that, you know, the, the narration has stopped at that portion of the film, you're still thinking about what was just said. And th- that's mm. very impressive. So I wanted to mention mm. that, and I will not give anything away, but I will say, Jamie, and you'll know exactly what I'm referring to, or folks listening who have seen the film, is the final narrative moments are truly 
truly uh, uplifting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be sure to share that with you. And I just can't thank you enough for such an in-depth conversation. And Jamie, I'll share something with you I've not told anybody. And that is when the Oscar nominations were announced earlier in the year, I told myself I wouldn't be, I, I don't know, maybe others may have felt the same, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if somehow you made it on that list because I just thought your performance really sincerely was one of the best of 2019. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Oh, I want to thank you. And, and it appears you'll be joining me very soon again on the show. And I want to thank you in advance for that. All right. Thanks for having me. That's you. You're up. If I don't see you at the, at the last pit stop, I'll, I'll be very angry. Not as angry as I'll be. Hollywood and Beyond podcast created, produced, and hosted by actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening.